0: This podcast is intended for mature audiences. All information given on this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts and guests of Half the Battle, as well as best fight picks, are not responsible for any losses incurred. Bet legally and responsibly. Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 215. Demetrius Johnson versus Ray Borg and Amanda Nunes versus Valentina Shevchenko. It's the first pay per view since John Jones versus DC. Yeah, I'm so pumped up for this card. I wanna see if DJ gets that,
1: you know, uh record breaking eleventh title defense and we got Amanda Nunes and Valentina. It's finally going down, allegedly. We'll see if they actually step in the cage, but you know, there's other fights too. Alex White and Mitch Clark, uh, Cejudo,
0: Sarah McMahon, Jeremy Stevens and Gill, so I'm pumped up. I am as well. So, this last, you know, week we took a, a minor hit, which, you know, this is a long-term game. Shit happens, but let's talk about it. So, the Dez Green one, you know. That one, you take on the chin because we said if he loses the fight, it'll be one of those situations where it looks like he won, but, you know, one judge still gives it 30-27 to roost Tom. And- Dez didn't win shit. I mean, look, you know,
1: I, I'm kind of... Even though it's only a one-unit loss, I can't, I'm mad at myself for that bet just because I knew he was going to lose, but just because the line was off. And, you know, just because the line's off doesn't mean that you should bet it. It just means that it, it's it's lined correctly because one guy wins close decisions and one guy loses close decisions, and that's just how it is, and that's how the fight went. I mean, yeah, the rounds were close, but we knew back in the back of our minds Drew Stom won the fight, and, that, and it is what it is. Des Green's a little flaky, but going uh from now on, Ruslam's one of my point fighters, man. I mean, the guy loses rounds, clearly. I thought he lost. Was it the second or the third? The third, clearly. And he still got a 30-27 on one card, so. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> very impressive quality, man. Yeah,
0: I had zero problems at the decision. I had a 29-28 Abelov, personally. Now, a fight that... Really kind of hurt, though. I had two units on Boyan Velichkovich to beat Darren Till. And, you know, the way we said he was going to beat him was to outpoint him, leg kick and run, mixing the takedown. So the first two minutes of the fight, he's leg kicking and running. We're like, yes, Boyan. It was so beautiful. Then out of nowhere, he decides, you know what? I'm going to abandon my game plan. I'm going to put my hands down. I'm going to start taunting and dancing in front of Darren Till. And uh, Darren Till made him pay. And, you know, when that happened, I was like, you know what? Good on you, Darren Till. Because uh, that's what Boyan gets for fucking around. Props to Darren too, man, even though I, I didn't like all the, you
1: know, hugging and touching gloves in the middle of the fight and whatnot, the left hand, and he actually threw some right, some right hands in there, too, he threw some jabs, he threw some right hooks, and I was like, man, this guy proved me wrong, he, he doesn't just throw the straight left and the straight, uh, and a high kick, but, uh, you know, Boyan messed around, and that's what you get for playing around in the octagon. You can't play games in the octagon. I think it was a case of, you know, he got that 50k bonus against uh, Musoke and decided he was going to start trying to put on shows in the octagon instead of sticking to what he's best at, which is point fighting and running away and winning close decisions, and he, he, he lost, and he got fucked up bad, and, you know, now he's on the chopping block. He loses one more, two more, and then he's out of here, but
0: Now he's on the chopping block, and now Till's fighting Cerrone in a main event.
1: You know, Till, I mean, man, you put on an impressive performance.
0: Now you're in there with Cowboy Cerrone and props to Till. Yeah, exactly. I'm very excited for that fight, and I'm also curious to see how it's lined. But let's get down to business, man, because look, Adriano Martins is minus 485. The comeback on Cajun Johnson is plus 385. Now, when it first opened, I was kind of surprised by that minus 230 opener on Adriano, but then literally two minutes later, it's at minus 350, and rightfully so. You know, I think Adriano Martins has one of the best counter right hands in the lightweight division. And we also know that Cajun Johnson is very susceptible to that counter right hand, as you saw in the Chad Lepre fight, in the Tai Hume Bang fight. And in those fights, it wasn't just that the right hand caught him. The right hand didn't just knock him out, Shaq. The right hand broke his jaw both those times. You know, he's one of these guys that fights once every two years. He's a journeyman. And, you know, he decided that he wanted to voice his opinion on uh, on the UFC pay during the athlete retreat, during one of their, you know... People are on stage giving a presentation. Cajun decides that's the time to voice his opinion. You want to voice your opinion? Uh, let's just, We're going to feed you to Adriano Martinez, and uh, that's exactly what's going to happen here. You know, maybe the first round could be close. Don't get me wrong, I could totally see Adriano putting him away in one. Bottom line, Adriano's going to win the fight. I'm not sure if it's going to be in the first or the second, but I do think when Cajun tries to do one of those, you know, jab to a high kick, which he is known for, Adriano's going to go out there with that counter right hand, put him down, And uh, I got Adriano. I mean, look at the competition he's been beating, man. Rustam by decision? One does not simply beat Rustam by decision. Islam Mahashev by knockout. One does not simply knock out a tough Russian warrior like that. So I got Adriano.
1: Yeah, you know, Adriano has to be the pick here. When the line opened up at minus 230, I was trying to put it in an open parlay. But then when I hit that refresh, it was minus 350. And, you know... My, uh, I wasn't gonna play around with it, but I mean, yeah, man, Cajun. You know, I get a lot of heat for saying that people are on their way out, but
0: they are. <laughs> Cajun
1: is the definition of on their way out. I mean, who hasn't beat Katani in the UFC? You know what I'm saying? Like, Katani's the guy they bring in to to make jobbers get a win. You know, like. But the guy they let Norman Park fight in Northern Ireland, you know, just to make, just to ensure that he wins in that environment. And, you know, Adriano's just going to take care of this guy. I mean, he, he's not, it it's not like he sucks or anything. I mean, he's just old. He's past his prime. You could tell that when he was younger, he probably used to be a lot better. But his chin has deteriorated. His body has deteriorated. And, you know, Adriano's a top 20 guy. We're talking about a guy who beat Rustam, beat Islam, sub-Crookshank. back to a decision with Leah with leo santos and he won that third round it was just he got started a little bit too late and leo santos has wins over kevin lee norman park uh tony martin i mean you know so that guy's top notch so i think this is a i'm not gonna say easy fight but i think adriano
0: should take care of business here so Shaq, i heard on this next fight you got the biggest bet of your career and we got alex white he's currently minus 210 the comeback on mitch clark is plus 175 well, yeah, man. Um,
1: as you know, Mer- I've been talking about this fight for at least the last month, month or so when it got announced. I mean, Mitch Clark doesn't win UFC fights. Look, his debut, he gets knocked out by a halftime fighter, and John Cholish. We- who knows what happened to that guy? Then he loses to Anton Kiyevanin, and. and- like I said with Katani, Anton Kiovanin's that guy that everyone knocks out on the local
0: scene. T <laughs> Bolt Gaudi knocked out Anton Kiovanen. Felipe
1: Silva knocked out Kivanan I mean, if I bought up his record, I mean everyone beats Anton Kiovanen. And Mitch Clark lost this guy. And you know, his whole game's Jiu Jitsu, he lost the Jiu Jitsu battle to Kivanan And then you know, I watched him fight John McGuire, his his lone you okay, he subbed out, but let's be honest here guys, like come on, it, it was a fluke. Sometimes flukes do happen, like like, Charlie Brenneman beating Rick Story, or, uh, it, it happens from time to time, it was a fluke, I mean, Al beat his ass for, like, seven minutes, and fell into a fucking choke, and it, it happens, Al, he underestimated him, but, you know, his other win against John McGuire, he arguably lost that fight as well, I mean, Maguire took his back several times, I thought beat him on the feet, and, you know, they scored all, all, two rounds to Mitch Clark, and, uh, he got his win, but, the Joe Duffy fight, <clears throat> one punch, faceplant, gets choked out. I mean, the guy's just not tough. The Kiesa fight, you know, he's just always on the defensive. It's like everything he does is out of fear. I just don't think he belongs in the UFC. I think he really hasn't won any fights in the UFC. You know, credit that he did get a submission props to him, but if we're really looking into the real schemes of things, like, he, he shouldn't be here. And, you know, Alex White, he's a uh, Moving up to 55 now, and I thought I think he's put on tremendous size. Like, you can arguably say that he was bigger than Tony Martin in his uh, debut at 155, and we're talking about a guy that has a solid chin. You know, I know that he got knocked out by Lucas Martins, but he was cutting mad weight to 45, and then, you know, he goes in there versus... Construct. Exactly. And then he goes in there versus Artem, and I mean, they're slugging in the pocket, and and Alex White slipping it, ripping it, and taking him down with ease, and completely dominated Artem, and... You know, I think Artem will knock knock Mitch Clark out in the first round. So even though MMA math doesn't exist, I'm just so confident in Alex at minus 130, seven units to win, 5.84, the biggest bet I've ever done. I just think he's – I think we're just going to rough Mitch Clark up in every aspect. And, you know, people are saying that we have a a size disadvantage, a power disadvantage – uh, a ground disadvantage. We might honestly have him beat on the ground as well. Like when you're getting taken down by, you know, Gypsy Jiu Jitsu John McGuire and, you know, these bums, Kiavanin, like, and Cholish, you know what I'm saying? So I, I think we have I think we could have a wrestling advantage. Obviously I don't want him to play around with it, but friends don't let friends not play Alex White at minus one thirty. And he's just gonna I think he's gonna knock him out in the first round, but Alex has proven to me if this goes to the later rounds, that uh, he can hang.
0: So, you know, we hit that minus 130, and friends don't let friends not play that minus 130, but what about this minus 210? I'd still play it at minus 210, because
1: before the lines came out, I was thinking it was going to be minus 175. It could be minus 2, and I was still going to parlay it, probably with Adriano, you know, or uh, leave it
0: in an open parlay, so I'd still play it at minus 210. I'm on Alex White here as well. You know, people like to talk about how Mitch Clark is 2-4 in the UFC. As far as I'm concerned, he's 0-6 in the (laughs) UFC. And also, this is one of those occasions where, you know, once a year you get to fade Mitch Clark. You know, I'm going to take that opportunity with full grasp, you know, because like, uh, like Shaq mentioned, this is a guy that quit against John Cholish lost to Anton Kivan his only win, you know, we we know he didn't really win that Ayakinta fight. That was just a, a figment of our imagination. <laughs> but uh, you know, that John McGuire fight, his his one, you know, supposed real win. I mean dude, he he lost that fight twenty nine, twenty eight. And then the Iakinta fight, Al Iakinta has an affinity for getting submitted. I mean Pat Odenwood tapped this guy out. You know what I mean, Shaq? And uh with Mitch Clark, he's the kind of guy that you know, Kiesa looked like a K one striker versus him. You know, when Kiesa tries to test his stand up against you, exactly.
1: like Kiesa was clearly up two rounds, and then that third round, he just said, "Fuck it, let me get in my let me get in my round to test my stand up against someone in the UFC," and he chose Mitch Clark as the guy. So don't get surprised by those scorecards. Kiesa decided to fuck around, and they gave a round to Mitch Clark, but Mitch Clark got hurt. He got wobbled by
0: Kiesa. So I mean, Mitch Clark didn't win a single round of that fight, <laughs> and you know the Ali Kenta fight. Talk about a fluke, man, because he was getting his ass beat, and he got a DARS from bottom side control, which will never happen again in his lifetime. And he's about to get smashed here and finally get cut. Alex White, I'll tell you what, man, he's got size for 55. He was cutting a lot of weight to make 45 ever ever since he moved up. He went up there with Tony Martin, and he stuffed most of the takedowns. I know he got pinned up against the wall, but look, Tony's a super physical dude. He even dropped Tony in that second round, you know what I mean? And with Mitch, I guarantee you, we drop him one time that's game, set, and match. So I think this is actually going to be an easy contest. I got four units on Alex White, minus 130. He gets clipped with the straight left a lot. So, I mean, we got that southpaw stance, and we're just going to be too rough for him. Yeah, I mean, Mitch Clark doesn't really like fighting. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. I mean, and, and another
1: thing, how much octagon time does Mitch Clark have in the last two and a half years?
0: 25 seconds 20, of octagon time. 25
1: seconds of octagon time in the last two and a half years. Just That's all I need to say. Minus 130? Come on. And what happened
0: <laughs> in those 25 seconds?
1: He got face-planted with the first punch that landed. The guy just doesn't belong, plain and simple. And Alex is going to keep his spot in the UFC, get a nice
0: little highlight reel finish, and uh, move on to better things. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that people are saying that, you know, as long as we keep the fight standing, we're going to win. I'm like, dude, it, it, we have the advantage everywhere. <laughs> if we want to, we can out-wrestle this guy. Out. We might even be able to tap him out. But I just don't want to play yeah. around with that area of the game, even though I think, we'd have I think we have the advantage there fine. Let's just stand and knock yeah. him out and make it easier. Now, next up. We got Gavin Tucker. He's minus 300. Holy shit. He's taking on Rick Glenn. That's plus 25, 250. And man, this is very interesting because, you know, I was thinking Gavin Tucker minus 190. Now I see minus 300. That's kind of crazy, but the kid is a serious prospect. Now I know he's 31 years old, so, you know, maybe uh, in terms of his age, he's not a prospect. But in terms of his MMA mileage and MMA years, he is a prospect. You know, he's an undefeated guy. Everyone's got to take that first L. Rick Glenn's a rugged veteran. Is this going to be that time, or you think uh, Gavin's going to go out there with that nice point fighting style and get another decision here in Canada? Man, uh, it's a tough fight because
1: these are those typical scenarios where you have that super high prospect, everyone's so impressed with his UFC debut. Granted, it was against Cecilia. Don't forget that. Cecilia does not win UFC fights. And Cecilia's a basic, you know, just swings big bombs and doesn't really have much aspects to his game as where, you know, Red Glenn ain't just a vet. We're talking about a former world champion. We're talking about a guy that beat Georgie Karakanyan in when Georgie was in his prime. Um wins over Johnny Case. Um beat some Russians in the World Series of fighting as well. And I mean, Glenn's just that typical workman. Like last week when we talked about Barbarina, he's just that typical workman. He when he comes out there, you know, he's gonna take a beating at first. But then the longer and longer and longer you leave him in the fight, then tend, you know things tend to get a little hairy, just like we saw last week with Barbarina and Leon. So I feel like it's that almost a similar situation. I think Gavin, if he comes ready like how Leon did, you know, he should win. The, he should win this fight just b- based on technique, movement, and just being the. The more physically gifted fighter, even though Glenn's a six foot featherweight, he's got that long body, but, you know, he struggles to use it at times. But I think, man, if if Glenn starts, you know, working, him, working him against that fence, you know, bringing his energy levels down, then it's going to be a real fight. And then that's where Glenn's going to thrive those workman type of fights. I have to go with uh, Gavin Tucker in this one. Uh, I like Rick Glenn a lot. I would not be shocked at all if he won this fight. I, I would tell people to be careful playing Gavin Tucker because he hasn't been tested anywhere close to this level before. We're talking about a former world champion. I'd be very careful with anything minus two or up. You know, If it was like minus 150 or something like that, and you really think the kid's special, then that's one thing. But don't sleep on Rick Glenn a six foot featherweight that's long and poses as well with experience. It's
0: a tough fight for Gavin. It's an interesting matchup because like we said Rick Glenn is the rugged veteran you know he didn't just beat Georgie Carconnon he Bro, made him face. quit to a, a body <laughs> shot a body kick you know that was the the beginning of the end eventually you know you saw how that one fight went down. Rick Glenn man I mean he, he made Johnny Case tap to strikes back in the day. he's so experienced he's massive for the weight class six feet tall featherweight. oh my God. And, you know, what's interesting is that he left Rufus Sport, now he's at alpha male, so, you know, I don't think he's going to come out here shooting doubles or singles or anything like that, but maybe his takedown defense will be slightly better, not, not that it was ever that bad or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know, that's probably what he's been working on. He's working with a bunch of short wrestlers with overhand rights. Gavin Tucker, man, I love that point-fighting style, I love his footwork, I love how composed he is in there. He should take this by decision. I wouldn't be surprised to see an upset, but I'm going to go with the favorite, Gavin Tucker. Now, next up, Henry Cejudo is minus 320, and the comeback on Wilson Hayes is plus 260. Now, you know, we were fully expecting to cash a plus 320 on Sergio Pettis against uh, Henry Cejudo. And, you know, friends of ours on Team Pettis, during fight week, they saw Henry Cejudo hitting the pads. He was looking great on the pads, but he was cutting a lot of weight. You know, they have the face off, they shake hands. Then the next day is the weigh-in day, and uh, Cejudo decides, you know, his weight cuts so bad that he's going to blame it on a broken hand. And then a week later he takes the haste fight.
1: I mean the guy's are, the definition of a flake. I mean, throughout his career the guy's pulled out of like seven fights from legacy all the way up to the UFC now and you know, Sergio was gonna uh, teach him a nice little teach him a nice little lesson in what we call point fighting, man. Uh was gonna win that uh, 29 twenty nine, twenty eight on two cards and a thirty twenty seven, you know. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that we missed out on it, but, you know, it is what it is. I think uh, in terms of Henry's career, he made the right decision um, fighting Wilson. You know, Wilson's no slouch, but I think Henry's just got him beat. Um, Wilson, you know, he's a good scrambler, good jujitsu, but I just don't see him getting Henry down at all. Um, I think in the first round. Henry, you know, even though I think he's overrated as fuck, I think that in the first round he comes he comes good in that first round, he throws really, really heavy in that first round, so he, he's, uh, he puts his will on you, he, he's very physical in that first round, but the second and third, he starts swinging these big hooks, and he's missing, like, constantly, like that Joe, Joseph Benavides fight, where a lot of people saying that he won that fight, I mean, bro, he lost that fight straight up, he lost the last two rounds, he won the first round, but he lost the last two rounds, every hook that he threw missed, and Joe B would just counter him with, you know, a body kick, you know, typical Joe B type of stuff, and but lucky, but luckily for Henry, he's fighting Wilson. Not saying that Wilson's, you know, bad or anything. It's just a, it's a good matchup for him. Wilson, I don't, in my opinion, can't get him down. But Henry has that, that ability to fight close. Every, every last one of his fights are close. I mean, the Chico Camus fight, the Formiga fight. Um, what else was close? I mean, the guy barely fights. So it's, the Benavides fight. So all his fights are close. It'll probably be, it could be a split decision. Uh, so maybe there is some value in Wilson, but I think Henry gets the job done. Uh, 29, 28, just by being more physical and in the bigger shots, stuffing the takedowns, and you know maybe fighting Sergio next. How's uh, Henry Cejudo's weight cut going? Well, yeah, we got to see if the guy makes weight one. I mean, the guy, the guy has been pulled off cards due to being physically unable to fight several times. So.
0: How's this hand doing?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Who knows, man. You know, it's one of those things where you know Shaq's not exaggerating when he says that Henry Cejudo's pulled out of seven fights. He's literally pulled out of seven fights, and you know we're not talking about you know top level competition either. I mean, against Sergio, we are, but I'm talking about against guys like Scott Jorgensen because you know he kind of freaked out on fight week. Like, you know what I mean? The dude's kind of. I don't want to call a gold medal a gold medalist Olympian mentally weak. But it's kind of interesting how, you know, not just him, but, you know, Sarah McMahon also, when they face any kind of adversity in the octagon, they kind of quit. It's interesting seeing Olympians fight like that. But then you see a guy like Yoel Romero's got zero quit in him whatsoever. Cormier's got zero quit in him also. So, you know, it's not every Olympian, but it seems to me like, you know, Henry Cejudo and Sarah McMahon, you know, their best moments, their prime, was in the Olympics. It didn't quite materialize in the octagon. And you know, I kind of bought into the hype about a year or two ago when he fought, when Henry fought D.J. You know, because I was saying shit like, "Well, he's a gold medalist Olympian in wrestling, and he's a Golden Gloves boxer, so he's got the best of both worlds, right?" Wrong, because <laughs> he can't put it all together. The thing that made GSB so great is that he was able to blend all aspects of the game together. You know, He wasn't just a great striker, he wasn't just a great wrestler, a great jiu-jitsu artist, he was, great at, he was a great mixed martial artist, whereas Henry is not a great mixed martial artist. He's a good boxer and a good wrestler, but he's not good at mixing everything together. And that could be an issue here against uh, against Wilson Hayes, who in my opinion, he's turned a big corner. I know people like to call Wilson Hayes chinny, but if you look at the facts, the only people he's gotten knocked out by are the Bellator featherweight champion, Patricio Pitbull, and the Bellator bantamweight champion, Eduardo Dantes. And obviously those two fights were at featherweight and bantamweight respectively. This fight's at flyweight. Never been knocked out at flyweight. it has been rocked by Jovi Sanchez, I haven't forgotten, but he hasn't been knocked out in a very long time or at flyweight. This is going to be interesting because that first round, like you said, Henry comes out throwing heat, but then after that he gasses out. His weight cut is always terrible. Maybe Wilson can take over the, next, the last two rounds. The thing is, for me to take this shot, when something opens plus 300 and then it's plus 260, I'm losing 40 cents of value there. You know, I, I I'm not trying to do all that. I want value on that opening line. So if it gets back up, or if Henry Cejudo misses weight, which he is known for, he misses weight a lot. I will take that one unit shot on Wilson Hayes. But if Henry, you know, shows up to the scales looking good, I'll just sit back and pass. You know, as a fan, I'm kind of hoping that Henry goes out there and wins so that we get a Sergio Pettis five round main event and hopefully that plus three twenty again because that's a max bet season. But you know, we'll see what happens with Wilson. I think he has turned a corner in his career ever since that Dustin Ortiz fight when he went out there and grown man them. No one ever did that to Dustin Ortiz at the time. So, And also, you know, people like to talk about the DJ fights, how how Wilson got picked apart at distance. You know what? At least Wilson got to go out there and give it a, give it his all. His all wasn't enough at all, but at least he got to give it everything he had. When Henry Cejudo got his title shot, I mean, that was fucking embarrassing. Dude didn't even get to do jack shit. He just got tooled from start to finish, pillar to post, sayonara, bon voyage. You know what I'm saying? He got fucking owned, man. This is going to be interesting. I'm going to go uh, with Wilson Hayes via decision, via controversial split decision that pisses everyone off. Now, Next up, Sarah McMahon is minus 270. The comeback on Caitlin Vieira is plus 230. Now, I see a lot of people saying uh, Sarah McMahon is easy money. Has she ever been easy money besides that fight against uh, Gina Manzini? All right. Well, my thing with this fight is,
1: have you guys forgot who Sarah, Sarah McMahon is? I mean, we're talking about a notorious quitter. A chick that will take a knee in the middle of a fight to a a knee from the body. It's not like she got hip-tossed and arm-barred by Rousey or, you know, straight-up knocked out. She took a left knee to the body and, you know, found her way out. And then, you know, after that, she fights Misha Tate, completely dominates her in the first round, has her way with her. But the second they started getting a little tough, the second she realized she wasn't going to be able to finish her, that this chick was going to be here for the duration of the three rounds, she found that door, and you know she got beat in the wrestling exchange. And she got beat on the feet, and it's like, wow, maybe this chick just wasn't that good. So then you know we we let it slide, and then she fights. Uh, yeah, you know she fought Lauren Murphy. You know just straight up laid on her and got elbowed in the back of the head. She arguably lost yeah, that exactly. fight. Got straight up elbowed in the back of the head for you know two rounds and won a split decision. And you know she was on top, so you know all right. She it was our, it was questionable, but we'll let her win that fight. And then you know she fights. Amanda Nunes, and you know, starts doing her thing, which is just, all Sarah man, does is throw big overhand rights, now granted, they're fucking huge right hands, and then you know, when things get in real close, she will just be explosive and hip toss you, and the Amanda fight, you know, she uh, overextended on her right hand, and then Amanda just timed it, clipped her, and she took a knee and she found her way out, and then you know, she fought Jessica I. what's uh, Jessica I's UFC record? 1 in 10. <laughs> what's, uh... And then you know she wins that fight. You know, props to her. Just guy doesn't win UFC fights. And then she was a terrible fight, firstly. Exactly. And then uh, she fights Alexis Davis. Now, what had Alexis Davis been doing for about the last two years before that fight? She's
0: coming off a two-year maternity leave. Okay. Coming in with love handles.
1: And then um, who the fuck
0: is that guy that she fought the last time? Someone that has less than a five hundred record in the UFC. That was like what four fights, four and all. Okay, so. She hasn't
1: fought anybody in the last year and a half, two years. Okay. So now you're telling me you're giving me plus 230 on Caitlin Vieira, you know, whose UFC debut against Fashos was, it eh, was alright. But then the improvements that she made from that fight against a four time All American wrestler and Ashley Evan Smith, I mean, she beat the living shit out of Smith. I mean, the punches that she threw was just. Big uppercuts, big overhands, and it wasn't like she was slowing down or anything. The longer the fight go, her pace was just going up and up, and she stayed on her the whole entire time. She even took down the All American wrestler. Now my thing with McMahon man is every time McMahon man has to deal with adversity, what happens? She quits. All right, she's not fighting Jessica Iron. She's not fighting a chick just that just had a baby. She's not fighting a foreign old girl that's taking the fight on two weeks' notice. She's that type of girl that, you know, gets hit by Alexis Davis in the first round, comes back to her corner and tells him, I can't feel my face. Like, I have to take her down. Well, she's not going to feel her face for this fight. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. She ain't going to feel her face. I think Sarah's going to come out explosive, maybe win the first two, three minutes. You know, maybe get a takedown. But, like, go back and watch that fight with Smith. Uh, Vieira's hips were lightning fast. I mean, the second Evan Smith shot, like, like, like Jose and Hennon in their prime, almost, like, hips that fast, so I think Vieira's going to bust her up, I, you know, I haven't bet it, but, you know, I might, well, I want to see that, uh, the fight week interviews, you know, the weigh-ins, but I think, uh, Vieira's actually going to get a finish here, man, I think she's going to finish her in the second round, I think man's not going to have her way, I know she's switching camps for this fight, I just think she, when she does not have her way, history shows that she will quit.
0: So Sarah McMahon's a very interesting case. Like you pointed out, against Ronda Rousey, it'd be one thing if she got judo throw to an armbar because, you know, that's what happened to every chick at the time. And during that stage of women's MMA, it was kind of like the Hoist Gracie era of the UFC. It was in a very, uh, very primitive stage. And she took, a knee to a, she took a knee to a knee, straight up. And then against Misha, y- y- you saw what happened there. She came out strong that first round. And as soon as it turned into a real fight, she quit, which she is known for. You know, she went for a takedown. Misha attacked with a guillotine, and Sarah freaked out. That was the adversity. You attacking a <laughs> choke on her was she enough to freak her out, and then she gave up position and got, uh, you know. Couldn't get up from bottom. It's, it's interesting because McMahon was the one that took down Misha. McMahon was on top, and as soon as Misha attacked with that guillotine, McMahon freaks out, doesn't keep her composure, gives up position. It's like, oh, my God. And then, uh, and then she's on her current win streak. With wins over Jessica I, who, you know, is 1 in 100 in the UFC. <laughs> and that was one of the worst fights I've ever seen in my life. Alexis Davis was coming off a two-year maternity leave, coming into the octagon with love hang- handles.
1: <laughs> and,
0: and lost a round to Cindy Dandwa. Just put it that way. Yeah, lost a round to Cindy Dandwa. <laughs> <laughs> and she just beat Gina Manzani, who, you know, like, come on. doesn't even have a win in the UFC yet. And, and I mean, that that fight basically looked like a training session between, you know, a pro fighter and an amateur sparring partner. You know, it was a joke. And now she gets to go against Caitlin Vieira. The thing, the reason the line is where it is is cuz no one knows about Caitlin Vieira or what she brings to the table. You watch her UFC debut, you can kind of put that on the back burner because she took it on short notice. So then the question is, what kind of improvements did she make in her second appearance? Well, holy shit, she made <laughs> some big improvements because she goes out there against Ashley Evans Smith. Her hands, man, I saw glimpses of Amanda Nunez in there the way she threw those combinations. Also, Kaitlyn Vieira's got a judo base, which means her hips are very good. That's why she was able to stuff those takedowns. She had the awareness of what to do when someone's shooting for a takedown. So that right there is going to lead me to believe that, you know, she can get her hips lower than McMahon, keep the fight standing. But let's just add a little extra element to that. She trains at Novo and Yao. What's Novo and Yao notoriously known for? Their takedown defense. So I think she's going to have that part of the game covered. And it's going to come down to the stand-up exchanges. Now, the one thing that kind of, you know, I'm not going to say scares me off, but the one thing I you know, have to respect is the UFC experience of McMahon. She has had way more fights. She's been in there with tougher ladies than uh, Caitlyn Vieira has, but I think Caitlyn Vieira brings something. I, I don't want, I don't know if I want to say special or new to the table, but the potential. she's a legit fighter, Yeah. and I think she can go out there and beat Sarah McMahon. She just has to make it a tough fight because we know if Sarah faces any kind of adversity, she'll look for the door. So that's what Caitlyn has to do. I think she can come through as a plus 230 here. Now next up, and this is interesting. A lot of line movement. Alir Latifi is minus one fifteen. The comeback on Tyson Pedro, or I say comeback, but he's also he's minus one hundred five. Now there's a huge size difference here, man. Tyson Pedro is six foot three. Alier's five foot eight. How you see this one going now? No, it's a
1: tough fight. You know, I have a hard time reading Latifi fights. You know, every time I bet on him, he loses, and when I bet against him, he wins. So uh, I'm done. I'm out of the Latifi business. Just put it that way. Um... Tyson Pedro, you know the jury's still out on him. I mean, you know, you know he beat Khalil Roundtree, and you know K- Khalil's a serious striker. But on the mat, we know that he will tap that mat, and um you know, Latifi, man, this guy looks impressive one time, like one fight, and then the next fight, you know, he's getting knocked out, or taking knees to body kicks, or the guy's just hard to get a read on, you know, I'm gonna go with Pedro, just because I think Latifi's last fight was a devastating, hellacious KO, and it's gonna be hard to come back from that, it's it's over a year layoff, I'm assuming, um, I think Tyson's got the momentum way bigger, I think he could pick him off at range, uh, keep it close in the clinch, even though Latifi's really explosive. But uh, I'm going to go with Tyson by uh, by TKO.
0: You know, it's interesting because Latifi is coming off a one-year layoff, but in my opinion, he should have taken a one-year layoff because if you saw that KO against Bader, that's the kind of KO where you say, look, either you retire <laughs> or you take a year off. He took a year off. That's what you're supposed to do after a knockout loss like that. Now he's coming back, and he's the much more experienced guy here against Tyson Pedro. Look, I know Tyson's very hyped, but we got to be realistic about this. The dude's never been past the first round. He's coming off wins over probably the two worst guys at 205. You know, Khalil Roundtree, who has zero ground game, and you know you need a ground game if you want to be in the UFC, right? And against Paul Craig, who has... Zero stand up, and you know you need stand up if you want to be in the UFC. I mean, Paul Craig uh, do won't even be in the UFC next month. Maybe he might not even be in the UFC tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? So these are the kind of guys that Tyson Pedro is beating now. I guess the step up in Alier Latifi, it is a step up, but Latifi is beatable.
1: Who's Latifi beating?
0: It's fucking Gian Valante and Sean O'Connell. He hasn't beat shit. Valante
1: just lost the Cummins bum, and then he beat uh, Sean O'Connell, who was like
0: two and eight. The dudes that Tyson Pedro is beating don't win shit.
1: How many, I bet you both those guys have losing UFC
0: records. I bet you yeah. both those guys have more wins than Paul Craig and Khalil Rountree. The,
1: well, yeah, they got way more fights in the UFC, but but I'm saying they both both of them got lo, using, losing UFC records. Yeah, I'm not going to debate that. You're yeah. probably right.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah. Aaliyah is not anything special, man. But at least Alir can claim, you know, I made my UFC debut. I went three hard rounds with Musasa. Now, I got picked apart with a jab, all three. I still lasted three rounds with Musasi. I don't think Tyson Pedro can be claiming, you know, any shit like that because he's going in there with Khalil and fucking Paul Craig. You know what I'm saying, man. If he goes out here and stops Alier, that's a step in the right direction because he can immediately break the top ten. I believe is ranked, you know, somewhere between 9, 10, or 11. And uh, Tyson Pedro is training at Greg Jackson's. One thing I liked in that Paul Craig fight was the way he was throwing those knees. You know, he got that, that deep underhook. He had his left forearm against the side of the neck of Paul Craig and then he was firing off those devastating knees to the body. I like that technique a lot. I'm curious if you can do that here because, look, one thing about Craig besides the fact that he absolutely sucks is that he should be fighting at 185, not at 205. Whereas Latifi, even though he's 5'80, he's so short. but dude's a fire hydrant. You know, I don't think he should be cutting weight. So I'm curious if Tyson Pedro can dominate the clinch exchanges. I know he's taller, but I don't know if he's necessarily bigger in terms of mass. It's going to be interesting. I'm actually going to go with Latifi here. I think that... You know, this is going to be Tyson Pedro's first L. I think when it goes past the first round, it's going to be unfamiliar territory for him. And I'm not exactly sure if it's going to be a finish or not, but I'm going to go with the more experienced guy. And I'll go with Latifi. Not confident at all, obviously. This fight, I'm very excited about. Jeremy Stevens is minus 110. Gilbert Melendez is minus 110. You know, this has the potential to be one of those three-round wars where they get fight of the night. But look, Jeremy Stevens is known, you know, once every two years, he gets that big highlight reel KO. It's been a long time since he knocked out Dennis Bermudez. I think he might be due here. And Gilbert Melendez, I mean, look, I know he's known for his durability, but you got to remember that those days, you know, he was uh, he was on the sauce. Now, now he's on the tacos and he's dropping a weight class to 145. I wonder if his durability is going to hold up, man. What do you think? Yeah,
1: you know, I just saw an interview with him and – uh He's sucking a lot of weight, man. He's he's cutting a lot of weight. You know, Jeremy cuts a lot of weight as well, but Jeremy's used to cutting the 45. This is probably like his over 10 times, you know, cutting uh, to 145 10 times or more. Um, as far as the fight goes, you know, I think they're both out of their primes. You know, Jeremy's got 40 fights, been in the UFC since he was like 20. He's 31 now. Um, Gilbert's been in the game. Most for the, losses
0: in UFC exactly,
1: history. Exactly. Most losses in UFC history the definition he could be the greatest 500 fighter of all time um i mean the guy has literally fought everybody is Name he
0: one. is he a greater 500 fighter than michael johnson yeah because he's got well michael's got some bigger wins michael's got wins over edson tony and dustin yeah yeah but jeremy's
1: got 27 ufc fights <laughs> he's fought everybody jeremy's Jerome, got wins
0: over rda elkins uh, yeah Bermudas, <laughs>
1: baro um I mean...
0: Arguably showtime.
1: Yeah. I mean, the guy's been in there with everyone. Gilbert's been in there with everyone. They're both on their way out. Um, I think Jeremy's got a little bit more left in the tank. I think Jeremy's got about five fights left in him, and Gilbert's maybe got one or two. I think Gilbert's got his foot out the door. And, you know, he's got other things. He's got an ESPN job. He's got his own gym. He's uh, He's got a lot of things going for him. And, you know, Jeremy, his last two fights... I'm not going to say that's why he lost his last two fights. I mean, he was in there with some of the best in the world at 145, but he had, him and his, uh, coach Eric Del Fierro had some type of dispute or uh, I don't know exactly what went on. And, you know, he, Jeremy had left Alliance for his last two fights, but now he's back at Alliance. He's back with Eric Del Fierro. He bought in George Masvidal for this, uh, for this camp, you know, it's interesting because back when Mosvidal fought uh, Gilbert Melendez, Mosvidal bought Jeremy in to mimic Melendez, so I know Jeremy's very familiar with Gilbert, and I think that's going to get him a win here, man. I just think he's got slightly more left in the tank. It's like uh, Dennis Siever and BJ Penn almost, even though those guys are a lot older. Um, I just, it was like, I think Dennis just had a little bit more left in the tank as where BJ didn't have anything left in the tank. I think Gilbert will have one round in him, and then once this fight starts becoming a war, I just think the shots that he's gonna that he's gonna absorb is just gonna be too much for him. I actually think he does make it the full three rounds. I think it goes to decision, but I think Jeremy just wins by landing the more effective shots. We know it's super hard to get Jeremy down, um, even though he did get taken down easily his last fight by Moicano. Moicano is just a different level with the takedowns. Moicano would just set him up perfectly. You know, move backwards and then just dart in and duck right under. And Melendez don't shoot like that, man. Melendez. The guy is coming off a hellacious beating to Edson. I mean, that was hard to watch at times. I mean, he got fucked up in a way that was. Man, should he, should he even be fighting anymore? And, you know, the guy was. Even in his prime, you know, he was. Going close with Diego Sanchez, and Diego was like one in seven in his last eight fights at the time, or one in six, or something like that. So the guy was never that good. I mean, he just had a name, so they kept giving him title shots. But uh I think Jeremy's due for a KO. I don't think he gets it, but I think he gets a win.
0: You know, it's interesting because I think that Gilbert Melendez came to the UFC too late. I actually thought. The fight that he started to first look old in was his third fight with Josh Thompson in Strikeforce. That was the first time I was like, Gil arguably lost that fight, man. And then he comes over to the UFC, and it's just he can't win a fight in the UFC to save his life. He's 1-4 and in the UFC. The only win is against Diego Sanchez, which was fucking a million years ago. UFC 166. It was the same night that... JDS fought Kane. You know what I'm saying? That's how long ago that shit was. And Diego dropped Gil Melendez in the third round. And this is Gil on the sauce. You know what I'm saying? Gil's juiced up out of his mind. Look, he tested positive for anyone that wants to say I'm wrong. So, you know, I know I'm right here. Even when Gil was juiced out of his mind, he got dropped by Diego Sanchez in the third round. He gassed out tremendously against Eddie Alvarez in the second round. Pettis. I mean, we don't even got to talk about the Pettis or or Edson fights. Let's, Let's talk about the Edson fight. You know, his first fight... On the tacos, not on the sauce anymore. And, uh, you know, in the pre fight talk, he's all like, I'm a gym owner. I'm an analyst. I'm a father. You know, he's naming all these things like, except a, a fighter. You know, a <laughs> fighters at the very end of the he's list. One foot out the door. And uh, even in his interview this week on Fight Week, one of the things he mentioned, I was surprised he mentioned this because, you know, I, I was talking to you. I was like, you know, based on the way he's acting, I was like, yeah, he's clearly coming in here for a paycheck. You know, he would probably never admit that, right? wrong he admitted that in his fight week interview he's like you know i get the chance to come out here get a nice paycheck i was like oh wow you admitted that man (laughs) holy shit i mean look but when you're getting 200k to show that's why he only fights once a year he doesn't need to fight more than that but you know come in take this ass whooping get that 200k hopefully he's invested his money well because you know once he's one in five here he's not gonna be getting no more 200k paychecks i'll tell you that right now Uh, this is probably his last fight in the ufc Dropping a featherweight is a desperate attempt to save his career. I honestly think it's more of you know he lost so much mass from uh from being off you know the juice that he had to make that decision and I don't think it's going to be the right one. Jeremy's had over ten fights at featherweight by the way, you know Jeremy is a uh, Jeremy's very experienced. You mentioned that Moikana fight where Moicano took him down. Look, Morikano was running away, which is the perfect game plan. You got to hit and run Gil against him you got to hit and run against Jeremy Gill's not going to run away. Gill's going to stand and bang, <laughs> which will give Jeremy the fight he wants. Like I said, Jeremy gets one knockout every two years. I think this could be that one knockout every two years. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it goes all three. That wouldn't surprise me either if they get fight of the night. But you know what? Since you pick decision, I'm going to go Jeremy by KO. Now, the Coco main event of the evening. We got Rafael Dos Anos. He's minus 190. Comeback on Neil Magny is plus 165. Now, Shaq, look, man. On paper, Dos Anos is better in every aspect Oh, the fight. I mean, these two grapple straight jiu-jitsu. RDA is going to tap him out. If these two get into a boxing match, RDA might knock him out. But in MMA, it's interesting because Neil Magny, he's got a 10-inch reach advantage, a 6-inch height advantage. His his history against Boss, firstly, he's 3-1 and one against top-tier Boss. He beat Kelvin Gastelum, who I consider to be a better version of RDA, and a bigger version as well. Beat Hector Lombard, beat Johnny Hendricks. The lone loss is against Damian Maya, who doesn't have anywhere remotely a similar style to RDA so that that's his history against southpaws at the highest level not to mention his history as the underdog firstly he's 10-2 and two in his last 12 fights you know this guy consistently wins as the underdog now I hear people talking about how you know Neil Magny busted him up with leg kicks and RDA busted up Nate Diaz with leg kicks and that just shows that's a very uneducated example. The reason why is Nate Diaz versus RDA was southpaw versus southpaw. Neil Magny versus Larkin was orthodox versus orthodox. This matchup here is orthodox versus southpaw. So those leg kicks aren't going to be open for RDA. If there's a kick that's going to be open, it's going to be the liver, the liver shot, which is a very big weapon. Don't get me wrong. He could, uh, he could land that kick for sure, and it's a very devastating kick. But he's going to have to close some serious distance to get that. You know, he went in there in his uh, welterweight debut against Tarek Safadine, who we both know hasn't ever been the same since the Rory McDonald fight. You know, Rory took that soul, and he left it in Canada, and it hasn't come out ever since. And, uh, you know, RDA got, you know, a pretty easy decision there, but now he's actually going to be tested. Neil Magny's got serious cardio. The issue with Neil is he does really dumb shit early in the fight. And you know, if you bet on him, you're gonna have to weather some very sketchy times where you know he's ducking, and you know it looks like, oh my God, Neil, what are you doing? He gets taken down easily, but if he can weather that early storm, make it into the second round, not a lot of dudes compete with Neil Magny in that second and third round, and that's where I think that he can go out there, pick apart Dos santos with a jab, which we saw Tony Ferguson do. And I'll go as far as saying that RDA is better than Tony Ferguson everywhere. It's just that when it came down to putting it together in MMA. Tony Ferguson put it all together well. I think Neil Magny could do a similar thing and pick him apart with a jab here. It's it's a tough uh it's a tough play though, you know. And, and I'm not crazy about the line. I would like a little bit more, you know. And I I might be being greedy here because plus one sixty five ain't terrible considering this guy's track record. I will go with Neil Magny for the upset, but I am a little hesitant to play it. You know, the guy's coming off a of neck surgery. That, that's always sketchy, you know what I mean. And I don't feel like I truly know what R D is capable of at one seventy. So I kind of want to sit back, but my pick is Neil Magny.
1: And you know, like like you said before, Neil, he's cast several times as an underdog, which is a hundred percent correct. But as far as this fight goes, you know, you were saying um, the low kick, the low kick, the inside low kick. I mean, but RDA, even though Neil's orthodox, that won't scare RDA because I've seen RDA throw that low kick on the inside from southpaw several times. I mean, you remember when he broke Rob Emerson's leg way back in the day? Rob Emerson was orthodox and. He broke his leg. The first Cerrone fight, he was throwing low kicks on the inside, and um, you know the thing with this fight is like, Neil has the tendency like the Hector Lombard fight, for example. You know he got dropped, you know two times, got hurt bad, and then Hector just completely stopped moving. Like Hector got back up to his feet and just stopped fighting. He, he was he he shouldn't have been cutting to one seventy. So you know, even though it's a good it's a big win. It was more due to circumstances that the guy he was fighting was just completely done and should have not been fighting at that weight class. And RDA does not have a cardio issue. Neil tends to thrive on the second and third rounds where guys slow down and are huffing and puffing. that's not going to be an issue with Rafael because Rafael used to train with Nick Curzon for years and years and years. His cardio is perfect. I mean, the guy does not stop moving forward. The Tarek fight, you know, even though Tarek is done, I agree. Who's taking Tarek down? cleanly in his last four fights just straight up with a double leg rda did no one else did not rick story not uh dunyun kim not uh jake Jake. i mean these way bigger guys who are better wrestlers on paper you know what i'm saying but rda took him down straight up with a double leg and so that was impressive me. and he kept moving forward the whole time so you know as far as betting neil i couldn't do it because my question is, what's going to happen when he gets blasted with a hard body kick or a hard inside leg kick? How is he going to react to the takedowns? How is he going to react when he gets cracked real hard? We're talking about a guy who will, you know, quiver on one knee with his <laughs> hand up and looking up. And Now, granted, it's a good mechanism not to take damage, but it, it just doesn't look good, man. It doesn't look good. We're talking about a guy that struggling. I mean, he beat Hendrick straight up, in my opinion, two rounds to one. But
0: One thing I want to say, sorry to interrupt. It's very hard to beat Neil Magny by decision. I mean, back in the day, you know, Seth Baczynski, whatever. Yeah, but I'm talking sure. about new Neil Magny, the 10-2 and two Neil yeah, Magny on his sure. current run. The only dudes that beat him, they finished him, Maya and Larkin. So do you think that, now granted, it was by TKO and by submission against both those guys respectively. So, you know, only the decision loss is missing. Can RDA give him that decision loss? Or are you thinking RDA goes out there and finishes Magny?
1: Um, I think he can give him that decision loss because the cardio is not going to be an issue like how it is for the other guys. We know that, you know, Gassum, if there's any knock on him, it's his weight pushing a high pace. Even though he can push a high pace, that would be his flaw. You know, Hector Lombard, cardio. Um, Johnny. Johnny, cardio. Wait, Uh, wait. uh Who else? Um,
0: who else is he beating? Alex Garcia. James. Wait.
1: All the guys that he's beaten, it's a cardio, a car, mainly cardio issue that Neil yeah. was able to thrive in those fights and because he had way better cardio. Him and RDA's cardio level, even though I think Neil might have slightly better cardio, RDA's cardio is fucking rock solid. I mean, RDA can push, especially in a three round fight. Even in that Tony fight that he got, you know, jabbed up at range, he still kept coming the whole entire time. It's not like he quit. It's not like he. I mean, he won two rounds. It wasn't like he, it wasn't like he, you know, was old or anything. I just really think those cuts the one fifty five were getting to him. Like he said, he was passing out in the sauna and things like that. And you know, maybe Rafael just needs to eat a little bit. And you know, he says that he fights well against tall guys. I want nothing to do with this fight from a betting perspective because I could see, if I wanted to bet on Neil, it's like. Honestly, what advantages? Well, I bet on things. I like to have advantages in fights. And honestly, what advantages do you have? You have ten inch uh,
0: reach, six inch height. But that
1: don't it don't mean anything because we know that Rafael fights in a phone booth when he's on. We know he fights like this, and we know that kneeling close range ain't that chin ain't the the most reliable thing in the world. And uh, <laughs> and That's we know RPG. that I mean we're talking about is I know Lorenz is a monster with the leg kicks, but I mean, name any other top ten UFC welterweight, that would've that would have went out like that, man. I know I know he kicks hard, but Temenov didn't go out like that. Or uh I mean I know he knocked out Pons, but Pons and Pons fought him toe toe. I mean, like the fact that you know he was limping on a knee and quivering on the ground and shit like that. I just I think I,
0: he underestimated it.
1: He, he does not underestimate shit. I mean, Neil, Neil, <laughs> Neil's that type of guy. I know he takes these fights very seriously.
0: He said uh, that he was going to take uh, Larkin at deep water and drown him. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> and it's just like, you know, if
1: when Rafael moved up to 170, I didn't think he was going to beat anybody at 170. But I even back in, before he even fought Tarek, I said if there was one guy he could beat, it would be Magny. So I was thinking me betting on Magny would make no sense because I, I – did say that if he could be one guy, it'd be Magny. So I'm gonna pass from a betting perspective. It's an interesting fight. I'm actually looking to this fight probably more than any other fight uh, besides another one, but just because I want to see that how he deals with that height, the height advantage.
0: Yeah, it's very intriguing. And speaking of intriguing, we got the co-main event: Valentina bullet Shevchenko. She's minus one thirty. The comeback on the champ, Amanda the Lioness Nunez, is plus one ten. It's very interesting. You know, we can talk about. The cardio stuff, you know, I'm sure everyone's talked about that on on their podcast. But what I want to talk about is the mental dynamic here. Because, look, with Amanda Nunes, she hits so powerful. You know, people like to talk like she's this technical striker. And that's not the case at all. She's a powerful striker. You know, we want to talk about technical. You know, Amanda's out there with her hands down fighting, you know. But she can get away with it because she hits so damn hard. So when she's out there slugging with Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey and Sarah McMahon, and then she cracks them clean. You know, those chicks have never been hit like that. It's like they got hit by a dude. So when they get hit by a man in Nunes, they're like, oh, my God. Like, no one's ever hit me like that. So, uh, of course, they quit. The thing with Valentina is we're talking about a very experienced Muay Thai champion. And, I mean, to the point where she beat Joanna Jacek three times in Muay Thai competition. One does not simply beat Joanna Jacek three times in Muay Thai competition. I'm not saying that she went out there, you know, used her size and, you know, Beat her in the clinch or anything like that. No, no. She out-techniqued Joanna Janjacek, which is absolutely unheard of. And just goes to show the level of striking she has. And, you know, you wonder, okay, how does it translate when she fights in the octagon? You saw her against Holly Holm. Outstruck Holly Holm for five straight rounds. And the question's always been, well, how's her ground game? Well, in the Holm fight, she did take down Holm. But what about the Juliana Pena fight? You know, the the most relentless grappler of the division, quote-unquote. First round, she took her down twice with beautiful boot sweeps. It's cool seeing Muay Thai technique used against wrestlers. You know, she used her momentum against her, expertly swept her. And then the second round came, and Juliana Pena was trying relentlessly to get Valentina down. She eventually did. Valentina had a beautiful armbar. It, it, it was belly down off the top of my head. I was like, damn, girl. like She's been putting in serious work. You watch the first fight she had with Amanda, and it's not like Amanda was getting the better of her on the feet. Actually, what happened was... So you know how I mentioned that Amanda gets away with fighting with her hands down against these other chicks because she hits so hard and they've never been hit that she hard before. She didn't come before. out like that. She didn't come out like that versus Valentina. Valentina is an expert with that southpaw stance. She's an expert with her distance. And you have to be on your P's and Q's when you're fighting someone like Valentina. Her counter right hand is money. And the places that she was weak in that fight was, you know, I want to say the ground game, but the way it went down was, for example, she would kick Amanda Nunes in the face and Amanda would would catch that leg and take her down i feel like valentina has patched up that part of her game as you've seen in her most recent fights it was just a little you know she was a little too loose out there it was a second ufc appearance but one thing we know is that the end of the second round amanda Nunes gets that rear naked choke and it wasn't fully locked in it looked like it could have been she had the body triangle and it was interesting how valentina defended it you know i'm used to seeing people defend with the hand fighting the two-on-one but she just moved her head away from the choke she has one of those very uh She's very hard to choke out. Let's just put it like that. You could tell by the way she was defending that choke. And then she ended up on top at the end of the second round. That's when I started to see Amanda break a little bit because the third round starts. And then it's Valentina getting takedowns on Amanda, you know, rocking her with elbows and even a knee. And, man, I was thinking that night if she had a a fourth and fifth round to work with, she could could win or finish Amanda Nunes. But she didn't. That was a three-round fight. Now she's got that extra two rounds to work with and there's the whole mental dynamic where you know amanda nunez she made weight for their last fight and then she pulled out on fight day you know and she was medically cleared the doctor said she was completely fine and then i I heard that she had the exact same issue for the ronda rousey fight she was you know she had the sinusitis shit or whatever, whatever the deal is she felt the exact same symptoms for the ronda rousey fight but The difference here when I talk about the mental dynamic is that she knows she can finish Ronda Rousey in one round. She knows she can finish Misha Tate in one round. She knows she can finish Sarah McMahon in one round. So she's just like, whatever, I'm going to hit this chick one time, she'll go down. With Valentina, it's a completely different story. She knows for a fact she can't finish her in one round. She knows that she's going to have to go tooth and nail. And we know that that Amanda historically breaks when a fight goes past the second round. When does she ever want a fight that went past the second round besides the first Valentina fight? She never has, man. You know what I'm saying? It's either first round or bust. I think it's going to get back to those first round or bust ways. And it's not because Amanda has shitty cardio. It's just because she throws so damn hard that, you know, there's nothing left in those later rounds. You know what I mean? And I don't think there will be anything left in those later rounds. And I think that Valentina is not just going to beat Amanda. I think she's going to finish Amanda. Like she said, takes this belt. <laughs> I, I got the minus 120. I put uh, three units on it. It's currently minus 130. I still see value on it.
1: Yeah, um, it's a tough fight because, you know, Nunez had that uh, clear advantage on the mat the first time, but like you said, that was Valentina's second UFC fight, and, you know, they rushed her up from Coffin to Amanda, who was on the cusp of a title shot, and they rushed her up, and she had to take that first UFC And like you said, Amanda's history when things don't go her way. She's very good at being the hammer, but she's not very good at being the nail. So after winning those first two rounds, I mean, she just can't withstand that pace. I mean, she shoots in for a takedown and uh, completely flops to her back like a lot of these uh, Brazilian weasels would. And uh, she quit. I mean, she straight up quit in the third round. And that's not the first time she's quit. The Cat Zingano fight, after whipping her ass the first round and then completely just checking out and, you know, flopping to her back and getting beat up. And then my thing with this fight is Amanda, I'm not gonna say they were easy fights, but Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey are tailor-made opponents for her. Even though those are the the two most biggest names to, you know, ever fight in female fighting, those chicks don't have the striking. Like, imagine if you put Rousey and Misha Tate in with the bantamweight division now, they Dude, would get. It's like what we were talking about <laughs> earlier.
0: That was like the Hoyts Gracie yeah, era of the exactly, women's division. Exactly. The sports like,
1: evolved. Like those chicks can't sh- i mean like look misha's striking never evolved ronda striking never evolved all their fights they get hit a ton and then they end up coming back and pulling off these you know what i'm saying so those fights are just perfectly tailor made for her. and you know i bet on versus misha tate pro- thanks you thank you amanda you know what i'm saying for catching that plus two something plus
0: 265 uh, yeah. <laughs> and
1: plus 220 versus yeah, exactly. i hate that so you know th- thank you amanda but now She knows for a fact she cannot just come in there guns blazing, hands down, chin up in the air, throwing big bombs against Valentina because either one, she can get tied up in the clinch or get countered with that counter right hook, get leg kicked. I mean, you just can't do that against Valentina, who's going to be in that tight Muay Thai stance, sharp as fuck. And then not to mention that our ground game's got a lot better. She just knows that she cannot come in with that approach, but man, the things I've been seeing from Amanda lately, like, you know, you know, she did pull out the day of a fight, which is really sketchy, but ever since I've seen her uh, put, you know, her fist on Valentina's face, I've had this theory that she's been looking really heavy, and you know, I think she really pulled out of that first fight due to a weight issue, I think she cut a lot of weight the day before, I don't, sinuses bullshit, like, that's enough to pull you out of a fight, like, come on, like, sinuses? I think she's cutting a lot of weight. I think she's cutting north of twenty five pounds. And, you know I just think she's I think she's uh secretly aging, just put it that way. You know, I just think she's cutting a lot of weight and I think there's a lot of things going against her and you know, her her girlfriend Androp's like insisting that keep saying that we're not, we weren't scared. We weren't scared. We weren't scared. Like, why are you insisting it so much? Like, okay. Like then why didn't she, then why didn't she show up to fight over a sinus infection? Like my thing is, I just think the style matchup, the five rounds, Amanda has to come in with that different approach, which is going to make her cardio level come down. The longer we, you know, just work in the fence, work on the clinch, you scramble, get back up, cardio level's going to come down, and eventually Amanda's just going to give us that sign where, hey, I'm done. I- I've had enough. I, You know I can't push this pace. And it's time to take <laughs> <it's> over, <laughs> Valentina. And Valentina, you know, come on and get me out of here, and I think we'll have a new champion. You bend this? Um, you know, like I said, I got seven units on Alex White. I kind of want to see what happens with that first, um, you know, I would have liked the minus 120, but you know, we'll see. If once once when Alex White takes care of business, then we can talk.
2: We'll, we'll make talks.
0: <laughs> the main event of the evening, Demetrius Mighty Johnson, he changed his his nickname. He's minus 1250. The comeback on Ray Borg, Ray the Taz Mexican Devil Borg is plus 800. Now, it's not often you see a plus 800 next to Ray Borg's name, but it's also not often that he's fighting Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. But Ray Borg, he's a guy I've been impressed with since his UFC debut. He went out there against Dustin Ortiz. I thought he won that fight. He was 19 years old. You know what I'm saying? He's slamming Dustin Ortiz and looking at his name on the Jumbotron. You know what I mean? Like, it was one of those situations. And since then, man, he's been putting on clinics on these dudes. I mean, against Formiga, man, his hands look better than they ever have. Now, let's talk about his one real loss, the Scoggins fight. You know, because I know people are like, oh, Scoggins dominated him, which is true. In my opinion, once— Which we bet him. Oh, yeah, we bet Scoggins plus 2-5. But listen— when Scoggins is on his game, Scoggins is the best flyweight in the world. I don't care what anyone says. I mean, firstly, he's a five foot nine karate guy. DJ is a five foot three guy. So you know, I don't think the comparison is accurate at all. But look, the issue with Scoggins has always been a mental issue. It's never been, you know, Skills. it's never been Scoggins gets dominated pillar to post. It's always been, you know, he'll be fucking someone up and then he'll say, you know what, I'm gonna dive headfirst into a guillotine. You know what I mean? Like he'll just be putting a clinic on someone and then he'll just do some dumb shit. And So you did it three times. You did it against Moraga, against Pedro Munoz, and most recently against Sasaki. I mean, dude, he was dominating all those fights, and he quit. You know, and he had the best night of his life against Ray Borg. That's what Justin Scoggins looks like when he's fully focused and he's on mentally.
1: He he wanted that fight. He really wanted that fight.
0: And he's never looked the same ever since. That was. That's all he (laughs) He had. But uh, you know, (laughs) since that point, Ray Borg. Man, since he moved to Jackson's, he's really putting it together. You know, he was already training in Elevation. He was at the other camp in Albuquerque, which he's now getting sued by. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) you know, now he's with the better camp. He's with Greg Jackson's. You know, he's training under the same coaches that led John Jones to a world title. So the interesting part about this fight is that Ray Borg is an expert with his scrambling abilities. And if there's ever been a weakness in DJ's game... It has been in the scrambles, and this dates back to his first loss against Brad Pickett in the WC. Brad Pickett was able to take him down, dominate him in the scrambles. His second loss to Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz was able to suplex him, beat him in the scrambles. His draw against Ian McCall, third round, Ian McCall back-mounted DJ, and if Ian McCall wouldn't have fucked around, he might be the champion right now, but he fucked around, and uh, there's a reason he's not holding that belt. You know what I mean? And most recently, the fight with Tim Elliott in that first round, I, I believe Tim Elliott snapped down, almost had a Darce choke. It's just, you know, Tim Elliott's the kind of guy that gasses after two minutes. Uh, Ray Borg is not that guy. Ray Borg is a guy that can go three or five rounds hard. So, my question here is look, obviously, look, we're talking about a minus 1250 in DJ. I'm not, you know, we know DJ is probably better everywhere, but these early scrambles are going to be interesting. I really do think they're going to be back and forth. You know what I'm saying? It's just, is there going to be a cutoff point where, DJ just takes over the fight and then Ray Borg starts to slow down. Is Ray going to get caught or is Ray going to get this big upset? It's interesting cuz you know when we watch that countdown or excuse me the embedded, dude, you saw that impersonation DJ did a dominant cruise. That was spot on. That was perfect. I was like, man, this guy is a genius, you know? But at the same time, genius, not genius. No one, you know, retires as champion, even you know, I know GSP did, but you know what I'm saying? At the time, we thought he lost the Hendricks fight. At the time. I know we watched it since, and we might think differently now. But at the time, we thought Hendricks won the fight. It's not often a fighter retires as champion. I mean, you think DJ can go out there, not just defeat Anderson Silva's record, but retire as champion? Um, The thing, you know, it's interesting because, you know,
1: like before he fought Elliot, Elliot said one a key thing. He was like, the more and more you fight and you keep winning, winning, 11 in a row, 12 in a row, however, however many it is one day you will lose, like, it, it's just, and he's right, I mean, you will lose, it, it just, that's just how the fight game goes, I mean, you're gonna get caught, you're gonna get caught in something, and uh maybe Ray Borg's the guy, you know, you know, at first, I was like, man, I'm gonna take that shot on Ray Borg, man, you know, and I, I, I didn't have, uh, I didn't think DJ was, DJ wasn't even on my top five pound for pound list, you know, I had guys ahead of him, but then when I watched him, I was like, oh, shit, I mean, the guy's really fucking good, Um, I mean, you can't really say he has any weakness, I mean, back in the day, he got dropped by Dotson, like, uh, he got dropped by Dotson with, like, a flush right hook, and, like, his body shut off, but he, like, recovered quick as fuck, and um, Ray Borg's hands look the best I ever seen, I always thought that was Ray Borg's hole in his game, that he was scared to throw hands, and Ever since he left his old gym and been at Jackson's, I mean, the hands that he was throwing against Formiga in that first round were serious. I mean, Now was in Brazil, in versus Formiga. Brazil. Yeah, I mean, he was he was throwing some serious heat. So I mean, I'm I'm interested to see the improvements from that fight to this fight, and. I don't actually think the scrambles is how he's going to be, DJ. I think it's going to be by knockout. I think he has to knock DJ out. I don't think he's going to beat him in the scrambles. I think he can hang it. I think it can go back and forth, but I think eventually if he chooses that route, DJ will somewhere take over and, you know, just prove that he's the better fighter, and he is the better fighter, straight up. I mean, I'm not saying DJ is on his way out because he's not, uh, unless unless we don't know something yet. But, um, I mean, DJ's solid, man. When I watched him, I was like, "Wow, this this guy's the real fucking deal." I mean, he, even though he lost, even even that first round with Elliot, I thought it was perfect the way he played it because we know Elliot's emotional. Just let this journeyman come out, gas himself out, and then completely take over and beat his ass. And it, it's like one of those Mitch Gagnon, Henan Burrell situations where one guy's giving it his complete all, and DJ's not really even trying, and he still arguably won the round. You know what I'm saying? So. I wouldn't even put that much stock into it. I think Ray Borg has to straight-up knock him out or catch him in some type of guillotine. It's going to be tough. I mean, he has to rise to the occasion like nobody has ever done before. I'm not saying it's not impossible. These things tend to happen, like Tim Elliott said, once you keep winning, winning, and winning, some somewhere you're going to lose, and maybe this is the guy. But, uh, man, I might even take a, a $50 stab on Ray Borg just because, man. You know, I've when we look at the history of upsets, man, they come out of nowhere they come out like when holly Holm beat rousey even though rousey was acting real crazy crazy the day of wayans we didn't honestly think home tj came. and
0: barack came out of nowhere
1: exactly we didn't act, we didn't honestly think holly would actually do it when tj fought hennon it was i was like tj's really good but come on he ain't gonna beat hennon or when uh
0: luke and bisping
1: luke and bisping you know i was like i don't like the way luke's acting man he's acting real cocky but come on like he ain't gonna lose the bisping uh Um, I mean, there's so many more we could go. I mean, you know, it's just uh, these these things tend to happen from time to time. So uh, the pick is DJ, but
0: don't be shocked. I just hope as a fan that we see the upset because, you know, anytime there's a plus 800 in the sport, it's it's a great moment. So I'd love to see that. But, you know, I would have to lean DJ by decision. But, you know, I'm rooting for Ray Borg. I'm Team Borg on this one. Now we got to hit up. Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. He's been killing it on DraftKings lately. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, how's it going?
2: Great, buddy. How you doing?
0: Doing amazing. And, man, let's get right down to business because this is the first pay-per-view we've had in a while. I got two bets on the on the card. And first up, Alex White, he's taking on Mitch Clark. I noticed right away in DraftKings that Alex White was the underdog and I was praying and hoping that they'd make him the underdog when the Lions came out. But you know what? I got minus 130, which I'll happily settle for because I think it should be, you know, minus 330. And I'm thinking it's going to be a first round knockout. I got him on my lineup. What do you think about the matchup?
2: Yeah, uh, I think uh, I'm kind of jealous of that minus 130 you got, to tell you the truth. Uh, I like him to win in this as well. I thought that he would be a bigger favorite than he was, and uh, he was like you said, an underdog on DraftKings. So I honestly think he's kind of the must-play this week in DraftKings. Um, I don't know how you can pass up on the deal. I mean, he's 7,400, and Mitch Clark is 8,800. I don't know how you can pass up on that when uh, White is minus 190 on the betting line. And with no line at all, I think White wins it, uh, and pretty convincingly. So I think he's a must-have, especially in cash. Uh, The one thing is, if, if like, you're – the paying the $8 one where there's a whole bunch of opponents that you have to beat to get the 25 I think it might be smart to have some Clark in your lineups there just in case, if you're throwing a whole bunch of lineups in, just in case because you know he's going to be like 5% on. So if you win somehow, then you know you're going to be one of a few people who have them, and maybe that can win you a GBP. I'm just banking on that not happening. So uh, let's, let's get that bet. Good luck.
0: Who made him the favorite in DraftKings?
2: Uh, see that's what happens when, when DraftKings has to come up with prices before betting lines are released. It's kinda of just algorithms and and them guessing really. I don't know uh, who, so I don't know who
0: does that. They saw I, the I can, ally Quinta wear on paper and that, and then they made him the favorite. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah, I Quinta's sister or something's working there. Uh, yeah. that's what happened. <laughs> so, Kyle, historically speaking, you've been very accurate when predicting Neil Magni fights. So I remember when you called him the defeat Kelvin Gastelum, he was a big underdog in that spot. He's an underdog again here. He's taking on Rafael Dos Anjos. He's got a 10-inch reach advantage, 6-inch height advantage. He's 3-1 versus top-tier southpaws. I mean, are we taking him for the upset? Uh,
2: man, I'm kind of torn on this one. I've actually I've made a few lineups already because uh, the salaries have been out for so long, and I have been just avoiding this fight in general. Uh, I think it was kind of... Play out where a whole bunch of points are just not happening with these two. Um, I don't see Dos Anjos getting a ton of takedowns. Um, but I, I just don't see Magny winning the fight. Is a problem. So if I had to pick a fighter in the fight in DraftKings, I think I would lean towards Magny. Uh, I think that height difference is pretty big time. So uh, that could that could be big in 170. Just I don't see how he scores a whole lot of points. So. To be honest, I think it's a fade fight. I'm not using either one in any kind of drafting
0: play. So with Gilbert Melendez and Jeremy Stevens, you know for a fact, it's probably going to be a three-round war. Now, in a situation like that, do we pick a side or do do we use both guys?
2: Uh, I definitely wouldn't use both guys in this fight. I think you have to pick a side. Um, If you think Stevens gets a knockout, you have to play him in a GPP. But I think Melendez wins this fight. Maybe it's just – I don't know if it's hoping because I'm a DraftKings fan. I think he's the one that's going to be going for takedowns. Um, so I have some Melendez just because I think he will go for takedowns, more ground scrambles, which racks up more points. So I think he's the better play on DraftKings, and he's cheaper. He's 8000 Stevens is $8,200. Uh, but it's definitely no lock at all. I mean, if you think Stevens is going to win – in a three-round war, I'm not sure he has to be on your team because he's going to have to AX 8,200, which means you've got to get at least 82 points to be hitting value. I'm not sure if he does that in a three-round war because you know he's not going to go for any takedowns. Um, so I think you should avoid Stevens unless you think he's getting a knockout. Um, if you don't think he's getting the knockout, I think Melendez is the better play.
0: So how much are they charging us for Adriano Martins? <laughs> uh, they're, they're pretty... They're pretty close. Um, they are. He's cheaper than Cejudo. They're charging
2: us $9,000. 9100 So I'll take that value right there. Uh, give me Martins. Any type of format. GPP, cash. I think he's a great play. I don't see how he loses this one. Could get an early finish, which is perfect in draft teams, and that's what I'm hoping for. I think uh, that would be my my way of going about this fight is a Martins knockout first round. That's all the points, right? $9,000, that's worth it.
0: I think the counter right hand is going to be a big weapon in that fight.
2: Yeah, on a weak job, too.
0: Yeah, so, you know, this light heavyweight matchup between Alir Latifi and Tyson Pedro, it's interesting because, you know, they're big boys. It could end early, but it could also be one of those three-round ugly fights, and if it happens to be one of those, you know it's going to be a low score. At the same time, this guy Tyson Pedro, he's been finishing his fights in the UFC, albeit against bums, but still, he's been doing what he's supposed to do. And Latifi, his last fight, I mean, you know, God bless him for taking a year off, but that was a devastating knockout. So these guys haven't been going the distance lately. Which side are we leading here, man? Because, I mean, I'm thinking Latifi, but at the same time, you never know where his head's at after such a devastating knockout loss.
2: Uh, I'm picking a side on this one. I'm going Pedro. Uh, I think Pedro wins. I think he's going to get more takedowns. I think he's just going to dominate on the ground. Um, and the thing is, with DraftKings, with TP's 8500 Pedro is 7700 So I just have to take that value, especially if, I'm take, if I think he's taking to the ground, getting those takedown points, advances. Uh, I just have to fix a side on that $7,700 ice tag. And I'm going to have Pedro, mainly GPPs, I think because he can get 100 points or so. I think I'm going to have him more GPPs. But he might even make my catch on it, but I'm not sure yet. Um, but I do like Pedro to win that fight. I think uh, Latifi's just a little bit overrated. Pedro's an up-and-comer. I think he's going to win.
0: In your opinion, is there a live underdog between Wilson Hayes, Caitlin Vieira, and Rick Glenn? Um,
2: Boy, I would say... I, I actually thought Hayes was going to be one of my picks. Um, before I did any research... But then I realized, I mean, the best thing he's good at is getting people down and racking up draft keys points that way. He's just not going to get Cejudo down. So I've been finding myself, avoiding that fight completely. Uh, I don't like Fiera. I'm going to have a lot of McMahon lineups. I think Glenn would be the live dog there. Um, I'm just really impressed by Tucker's first fight. Uh, as as with everybody else. Everyone's pretty impressed, which might drive his ownership up in DraftKings, which makes him a live DraftKings dog as well. Uh, Glenn would definitely be the one I would like of those three, but I don't know if any of them are live. What do you think on those
0: three? Honestly, man, I'm going to have to go against you and say that Vieira's live, and the reason I say that is because you watch her UFC debut, you can kind of throw that out the window at short notice, but she comes back in that second fight, on the feet, she kind of had glimpses of Amanda Nunes with her straight punches. She's got a judo background, so that makes me think she can keep the fight standing. Also, she trains at Novo and Yao. You know all those guys have unbelievable takedown defense. So, Honestly, man, we've seen Sarah McMahon quit more than once. and You know, you can make an excuse, oh, she lost to the top three bantamweights of all time or whatever. But look, when she fought Ronda Rousey, it's not like she got judo throw to an armbar. She, she quit in a striking exchange to a knee against Misha Tate. She quit. I guess Amanda, we can give her a pass because Amanda's the current champion. But I think that if Sarah McMahon doesn't get her way, you know she's known for folding. If you look at her current streak, she beat Jessica I. I don't have to say what kind of record Jessica I has in the UFC. Alexis Davis coming off a two-year maternity leave, and uh, Gina Manzani, who is not even a 500 fighter in the UFC. So I actually, I actually think Vieira's kind of alive, man. I might be completely wrong, but who knows?
2: Yeah, my problem is, Pierre just doesn't show anything like any of those other ladies who have beaten McMahon has shown. Um, there's just nothing special about her. And I think McMahon is legit one of, if not the best, women's wrestler in the UFC. So, uh Especially DraftKings angle. I like her more from the DraftKings angle because she's going to be the one going for takedowns. And that's what you want. So um, I don't think I'd be placing any bets on her at minus 270. But if I have to pick a side in DraftKings, I just want those takedowns. And, uh, that's the side I would rather have. But if you think Vieira is live, uh, I think that's probably a good play in DraftKings. Because I don't think there's many many live big underdogs on there other than that free money on Alex White as I look at it. <laughs> so yeah. if you can pair Vieira and White together, you can get one head of a team on the other floor.
0: All right, Kyle, well, it's time, to, it's time to disagree a little bit, man. And you know what? I'm I'm really worried about this one because I always hate it when I'm on the same side as the public. And that's in the co-main event, man. I think there's going to be a new champion. But as a gambling man, when I see this plus 110 on Nunes, and I know no one's on that side, it's kind of scary, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, man, I, I'm on
0: Nunes, and I was on Nunes uh, at UFC
2: 213. But I just think it's, uh, I'm going for the finish. I think she'll get a first or second round finish. But uh, I'm not saying that I'm going to pick Shevchenko if she doesn't get that first or second round finish. I think Nunez can win a decision. I think um, people are just so hung up on, well, I've seen her fight her before, and she gasped after two rounds. So that has to be what happens now, right? Um, But no, that's not right. She was training for three rounds. All she had to do then was win two rounds. Now she's been training for five rounds. The last few fights, she's the best in the world on the women's side. I've been high on her. I always thought she would be the first person to be Rowdy. I'm still upset that home beat her to it. Um, and I, I can't change my pick now. I think Nunez is the best in the world. I've seen her beat Shevchenko before. I think she's going to do it again. Uh, I think she'll get the finish this time. And I think if I am right, you have to have her in draft teams, right? Because if she's getting an early finish, then she's going to score a lot of points. The problem is with Shevchenko, most people think she's going to win and probably going to be late. So I don't think she's a good draft team to play at all because if she gets a third or later finish, then she's only scoring 50 plus whatever strikes she's thrown in those first three rounds, which we can see her dance around the cage a whole lot and not throw any strikes at all. So she's just not adding any points up as the fight goes along. So I just don't think I'm going to have a whole lot of hurt. Honestly, the only Shevchenko I'm going to have are some hedge lineups. Because she's the same price as Nunez, I'm going to throw some of my Nunez lineups in and I'll put Shevchenko in, just in case I'm wrong. Uh, but Nunez is the pick. I got the bet high 110. So Nunez, let
0: me hear your case. I mean, what I'm thinking, man, is you saw the first fight and the areas that Amanda had success was on the map right you know she busted her up a little bit she almost t- she almost choked her out but valentina defended that well but on the feet amanda didn't have much success because when you watch amanda strike like against misha or against ronda she kind of fights with her hands down but she has so much power that she can get away with it cuz those chicks had never been hit like that before in their lives you know so when ronda and misha got hit like that they were like oh my god cuz you know you hear the stories about amanda knocking out dudes in the gym and you know they say she hits like a dude but Valentina is, you know, a chick that beat Joanna Janjacek three times in a striking competition, and she didn't do it by, you know, being the bigger fighter. She did it via technique. Like, that's just kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. You saw you saw their first fight on the feet. Amanda didn't have nothing for her. It was just on the mat. And since that since that time, uh, Nunes has got excuse me, Valentina has gotten way better on the mat. You saw her fight against Juliana. Not only did she submit her in the second round, she took her down twice in the first round. You saw the fight with Holly Holm. She took her down. So I think she's kind of patched up the holes in her game. And I also think she has a mental edge in in this fight. And the reason I say that is because you know how uh, Amanda knows that she can finish all these chicks early? She she knows she can't finish Valentina in the first round. And you saw that first fight. The momentum was kind of shifting towards the third round. But she didn't have a fourth and a fifth round to work. Now she does. So like you said, if Nunes is going to win, it has to be in the first two rounds. I agree with you. But... I disagree when you, when you say that you can win a decision. Yeah, that's where
2: everyone's coming to play with disagreeing on the same, uh, same thing. My uh, the thing is, I don't think she doesn't believe she can't finish her in the first round. I think unless she finished anybody in the first round, she fights like a guy. That's why I like her. Um, but, I mean, now she's training for 25-minute fights. She's been training for 25-minute fights. She just hasn't had to go that far. So we don't know if she can do it or not. Everyone's just taking a guess. They don't know. I'm going to just go ahead and say the better fighter, regardless of time, I have to say is Nunez. And I'm going to assume that she is a legit champion and training for championship fights. And she has to be able to go 25 minutes if she's doing that. If not, I will lose my money because uh, I always put my money over my mouth there. So I deserve to lose if she loses. But I think it's either a finish or three rounds she gets. And that's a decision. So. Uh, I can't wait. I like Nunez and I like her in DraftKings.
0: I mean, she's absolutely a legit champion. You know, I had money on that plus 265 against Misha, the plus 220 against Ronda. I just think this is a different uh, situation. And also, the reason that she does gas, it's not because she has shitty cardio. It's because of her style. She throws so heavy early. You know what I'm saying? For her to to be more conservative, that would take away from what makes her so great, in my opinion
2: true although how many how many times have we seen fighters just take off the first round again so who's just dancing around i mean it might be boring for us but if she's throwing more action in the first round and not wasting any energy then it can change the whole fight really that way uh i, I don't know i'm just really going on style style i'm not really thinking about time um i'm also i'm also thinking a lot of drafting because i do have Nunes in a lot of my teams and the only way I see either of the fighters scoring high, it has to be Nunes, right? Because what's the highest Chankos is going to score? She's going to get a first round finish. She's going to get eight takedowns. I don't see either one of those. Um, so I kind of, <laughs> for DraftKings single, I feel like I have to win Nunes just yeah. to try and win the GBP getting over hundred points. Uh, I, but I understand that Chankos does have the best shot. I'm looking forward to this fight. I'm nervous. I don't feel confident with my money yet, but my money is on it.
0: I mean, I completely understand the DraftKings angle. You know, like we said, she's a finisher. She's the underdog. I mean, she beat this chick once. It makes sense completely. But I keep going back to this mental dynamic between the two. Yeah, I'm hoping uh,
2: we see. I'm hoping new changes everybody's mind this weekend. But I guess we'll just have to find out. So I'm looking forward to it, though. So if you want to hit up a side bet, let me know, man. Sort of. Uh, <laughs> Uh, You're going
0: to be able to sleep with T. I'll I'll shoot you a a shirt. Okay, okay. So, in the main event, man, I mean, I'm not used to seeing a plus 800 next to Ray Borg's name. But I'm also not used to seeing Ray Borg fight Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. I mean, is Ray Borg a high scorer? Should we look to put him on there or should we just pass? Because I'm assuming that DJ is going to be very heavily owned.
2: Yeah, he will be very heavily on. But honestly, I might have just changed my mind. I don't know if the listeners can hear that, but your dogs are just barking in the, in the background.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that
2: always gets me, man. On a podcast, when dogs are barking, maybe the dogs yes, are win. Never know. Yes, right? <laughs> the dog is <laughs> barking
0: right at the plus eight hundred. It might be a sign. Right? right as you were talking about Borg, right? I don't know. Your dogs might have just changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, no. I think I'm going to have to pick DJ in this fight. However. I think it will be one of his toughest ones he's had in a while. Um, I think it's a good fight to stack in cash. If you're using both of these guys, I think you're getting well over 100 points combined. Um, the problem is DJ is just so good, and he's so good at scoring on DraftKings. Uh, it's it's really hard to pass up for him. I feel like he's a must-have every time he steps in the octagon. He's almost guaranteed for 100 points. Uh, let me look through real quick. Uh, all right. Looks like he's got 113, 107, 111. And then there's two fights where he doesn't have 100. He had 94 against Dodson and 97 against Bogatinov. Those are the worst he's done, it looks like. And he had 173 against Moraga. So he's pretty, pretty much, much just guaranteed wow. points on DraftKings. So, uh, the, And the good thing about DraftKings is you don't have to risk Minus 1250 to get him on your team, you only have to risk 9600 when there's fighters like Cejudo at 9100 So it's really hard for me to pass up on DJ. Um, I, I think if you think Borg has any shot at all, then you definitely have to have him in maybe that $8 GPP because he will be low-owned. And if he wins, nobody's going to have him. Um, and that's going to boost you ahead of the field. The problem is it's really hard to beat DJ. DJ is going for that record title. Defenses. Uh, I have to roll with DJ in all formats, but stacking cash, I think, is a good play.
0: Well, Kyle, man, thanks for uh, thanks for going a little overtime with me, man. I, I know the fans are going to appreciate it.
2: Hey, right, man, no problem. time man. Good luck this weekend.
0: Hopefully, we kill it. Yes, sir. You too. Follow this man at Big Marley Three, and Kyle. We'll speak next week, man. All right, you bet. Well, that's why, uh, that's why Kyle Marley is our DraftKings guy.
1: Yeah, man. Kyle's got the best advice, and uh, he's a three-time world champion.
0: Yes, he is. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the Big Marley Minute. But now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Shaq, what is the fight to watch for UFC 215? The fight to watch is
1: Neil Magny versus RDA. I mean – like I said earlier, I want to see how RDA deals with that huge reach disadvantage and if it even matters in this fight. And I want to see if Neil can go out there and add another big name to his resume. He's got wins over Kelvin Gassum, Hector Lombard, Johnny Hendricks, Eric Silva. He adds another one, especially a former champion. That's a huge one for him.
0: Yeah, and uh, my fight to watch is Gilbert Melendez versus Jeremy Stevens. To me, this could be one of those three-round Mexican brawls where, you know, they get fight at the night, they stand and bang either till one guy falls or until the final bell uh, rings and it's going to be intriguing and, you know, if it's not a three-round war, maybe Jeremy Stevens gets that first knockout he's had in uh, over 2 years. So regardless i think that's the fight to watch so Shaq, who is your fighter to watch
1: the fighter to watch is the spartan man alex white i think he's gonna put in work against mitch it's gonna get real ugly we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna bust the boy up and uh i don't want a first round finish but you know in terms of alex white i think he made the right move moving up to 155 gained a lot of size and this is a chance for you to go out here and get a highlight real finish on your resume and can this guy a pink slip man
0: yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Alex White, I'm expecting a first round KO. So hopefully he takes care of biz. But my fighter to watch is Valentina Bullet Shevchenko. I mean, the mental dynamic I mentioned is so intriguing in this matchup with Amanda knowing that she can't finish Valentina early. And we know historically what happens when Amanda goes late and Valentina, she's radiating confidence. When you hear these interviews, she cannot be shaken. She is on a mission. She is focused. She is determined to become the new UFC bantamweight champion of the world. And I think that's what's going to happen Saturday night, Shaq. Yeah, I agree. Well, Shaq, we did it, man. UFC 215. It's going down this Saturday, pay-per-view. Man, I'm pumped. Uh, anything you want to tell the fans before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, just
1: follow me, MMA MMAGenius05. Uh, follow my Instagram account, uh, TSM underscore bets, And uh, thank you for all the support.
0: Yeah, everyone, thank you guys so much. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. You can get my plays on BestFightPicks.com, free as always. Up about slightly over 38 units on the year, 20% ROI. You know, just killing it long term as always. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Shaq and I will be back next week to cover the next card. Going to keep the fighter interviews rolling, everything. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.